introduce yourself and what you're doing and kind of what uh, what your role is right now in terms of uh, healthcare education in P&G um, to sort of start off with, and then we'll kind of jump into these few questions that I have. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, my name is Mark Crouch. Uh, I have an MD from the U.S. and then now an MPH from uh, the London School in England. I left the U.S. in 2014 after finishing family practice residency at In His Image in 2012 and joined the um, medical staff at Nazarene Hospital in the highlands of Papua New Guinea in Juwaka province. So we've been here a little over eight years and my wife and our four kids and I serve uh, at the hospital. And especially in the last five or six years, um, I have uh, worked with our medical education team, uh, of which I'm kind of head as the medical education coordinator. And that involves hostings, uh, both PNG and uh, expat uh, medical students for rotations. Uh, and more recently has involved um, training of what we call registrars, which in the U.S. would be called residents, uh, in postgraduate uh, specialty training. And the two training programs that we offer in our facility are a general surgery program, uh, as well as what we call a master's of medicine in rural health. Uh, so the degrees that are granted by the university are master's in medicine, and then the specialty is um, allocated with that. And the one that we train is called rural health, uh, which is a generalist, kind of like family practice, uh, although with quite a bit more in terms of surgical skills and some pretty unique skills to Papua New Guinea's uh, health needs like radio installation and doing flight uh, evacs and patrols to rural health centers and those kinds of things. That's great. Wonderful. So, um, and you said that this has been really marked for the past five to six years. You've been the medical education coordinator. How did you, uh, how did you decide to, to go that direction with, with your personal career? I mean, you were, you're also seeing patients and taking care of patients in the hospital and clinic, et cetera. Um, how did you, how did you head more toward the education side or was it just a necessity or, or talk to me about that? It was in my blood, uh, of course. And when I left the States and went overseas, my intention, and they were great at the time, uh, was to go and teach and start a program. And, uh, and I really just saw the clinical side of things as this sort of this necessary evil to get to do that. Um, I think like a lot of missionaries after the first year of thinking, oh, I've got all the answers, then you spend a few years realizing you don't have any of the answers. You don't even ask the right questions. <laughs> and so um, those first couple of years, I think it was good. I was doing almost entirely clinical work, but I think that was good for me. And um, from that, I, I gained a better appreciation of what it might mean to combine medical ministry with teaching ministry and um i think that that 
ambition and that drive was there before. Uh, I think it was crystallized and made more realistic uh, after doing a lot of clinical work. And then our leadership asked, because I'd been pushing, you know, hey, we need more trainees, we need more trainees. And and I think they sort of gently acknowledged, okay, we've got Eager Beaver, new missionary here, but, uh, you know, we do want to train more. And so after a couple of years, they asked me to uh, take on that role. Uh, and then worked with our kind of management and leadership about how do we expand our capacity to teach. Um, so it was always there. Um, I think it was brought into a, a more clear perspective uh, with my clinical work. And then uh, it kind of came to a good fruition in its own time uh, after I had a chance to absorb a bit of the culture, the people, the language, the work the diseases all the all the differences uh, that i needed to to absorb mm-hmm. mark do you think um was the the main reason uh was it a response to the medical need would you say and the need for personnel the need for local knowledge and local culture local expertise and and also just you know personnel or was there a part of it that was a spiritual need or, or both? And kind of kind of separate that out a little bit for us. Uh, definitely both. And I, I have one of the things I've changed is I think splitters will say, oh, was it this or this? And lumpers will say, oh, yeah, it's everything. Um, I think I'm more of the both and uh, any two sides of the same coin are still the same coin. And I personally recognize that, boy, it would be fantastic to have uh, medical ministers from the country uh, to help us in the work here, which is at times just overwhelming. We're the referral hospital for about half a million people. Uh, We have a couple surgeons and uh, five to six, depending on the time of year, uh, kind of general doctors um, to carry that. Um, so obviously it's very demanding and there's definitely a need for additional help. Uh, there's also uh, a need for medical ministers in the country. Uh, PNG is not a closed country and missionaries and the work of the church at large is appreciated. Um, in some places, people would be nominal spiritually and so we have a chance to speak into that, both in terms of the patients and the trainees. Um, but the, the crushing physical needs of especially the highlands of Papua New Guinea are impressive. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I quickly came to appreciate in our first year here, I could barely get out of the Gospel of John in my devotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that Jesus didn't, he didn't approach a suffering, vulnerable person and think, I'm going to make a point here, uh, whether that was in the physical or uh, in the spiritual. Uh, he approached that person with compassion mm. and meeting the physical needs of the suffering, even without a sermon, uh, I think represents a, an expression of the gospel. Now, we, we couple that with our own witness and, and our chaplains and things. Um, but we really needed both, and we we really wanted uh, this template of a foreign-born and educated uh, physician providing that to 
be coupled to a a way to create Papua New Guinea doctors who could do the same thing. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so you've you've already answered this somewhat, but but um, flesh out how the registrars and the others that are in the educational process there. How do they? How do they work alongside? Um, perhaps not compete um, and be complementary with the chaplaincy and the others who are doing uh, maybe evangelism, discipleship work, and and maybe even like church planting. How how does that how does that work? Yeah, our evangelism and discipleship can be very open. Um, in our setting, we can evangelize and disciple our own trainees. Mm-hmm. Like I said, some of them are from nominal or works-based theological backgrounds, uh, and our ministry you know, to them attempts to introduce them to a more authentic faith. Uh, we are more often discipling them on the job, uh, so they're working with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are making some specific changes in the you know, management and structure of the work of the hospital. Um, to to make it more deliberate and as an established mission hospital we can do this in our setting without any fear of kickback really Mm -hmm. Um, the second way I think that is really important is uh, we are very intentionally evangelistic in our practice of medical ministry Um, we are a mission hospital partnered with the National Department of Health to serve as a provincial hospital for half a million people um, so the management and policies and hiring and firing of the facility take place through church management. Uh, but a good portion of the operating expenses and supplies come through the Department of Health. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's a somewhat unique. I think when I went to Africa, that was a very unique setting. Most of them were like, you're either a mission hospital or you're a government mm-hmm. hospital, and they don't really intersect. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of medical ministry, our teaching physicians really show it in their work. And the trainees eventually come to see their profession as a ministry. Mm. A lot of the students have come in and said things like, I have no idea that medicine could be a part of proclaiming the gospel. Mm. Um, and this, the plan is this can have a broader impact from the entire medical culture of the country right down to individuals that those doctors will see at the bedside one day as their own patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really try to couple them with the mission of the hospital. And there's certainly not any attitude of, oh, we're competing with them for jobs or anything like that. Um, most of them have gone on chaplain rounds with some of our chaplains. We're just starting to uh, introduce with our trainees the idea that they would go out and do sort of prison ministry and some other things that um, that do take place um, for the facility as a mission hospital. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so the, I think there's a good synergy mm-hmm. uh, rather than uh, competition. Yeah, yeah, sounds certainly sounds like it. Okay, just a, just a few more things. Um, what have you found are significant <clears throat> challenges that you faced in the Specifically, again, in the, in this piece that that is medical education and it becoming a part of a of a mission hospital that maybe isn't geared that way or wasn't geared that way and now has sort of begun moving into that direction. What are, what are some of those challenges? Yeah, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, when I got your list, one of the questions was, uh, what failures did you have in yeah. your location? And I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's, there's a, that's a, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the term challenges better, and I actually wrote down some, some challenges specific. Uh, I think our facility is doing well. I, um, yeah, we, one of the things we have been challenged with is getting promising candidates. Um, we are a mission hospital. Mm. That might scare some people off if, like I said, they're not ready for the, the blending of medicine and ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some challenges pretty unique to our setting. Uh, one is me. <laughs> I, when I got here, thought of a U.S. or Western template of training, and that, enforcing that into a situation like this, this this situation doesn't call for that. Um, so, it, you know, some basic examples. Um, you know, teaching about a topic in a way that's unrealistic, teaching about fetal fibronectin or mm. using a microscope to confirm rupture on the maternity ward. And then I start working in the maternity ward. I'm like, whoa, these are not, we're not even close to that stuff. Mm. Um, and at times I felt like I had tried to reinvent the wheel uh, before I really understood what was available. Mm. Um, once I realized, okay, we've got this med rural program that's already up and running in the country, then it became, okay, how do I leverage the strengths of our facility with the structures that are already in place to expand our ability to train medical ministers? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the challenges aren't really uncommon in terms of, you know, unique to us. There's funding, there's how do you balance training versus clinical work? Mm-hmm. How do you get a good relationship with the academic institutions, with the specialists, with those kinds of things? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are maybe universal. Uh, but but one thing I think is might be a little unique here compared to my experience, at least in my residency, was uh, clinical overload. Mm-hmm. Uh, our current graduate, the workload was so high and demanding that we really taught her by osmosis. I mean, she did a lot of her own independent work fulfilling her program requirements without us knowing a lot about it. Mm. Um, thankfully, she's decided to stay on with us and is now kind of our, some of our teaching faculty and helping to adapt that for the next generation. But there are certainly days where a registrar approaches me and says, yeah, hey, I've got this question. And in my the back of my mind, I'm like, I've got this great three-minute uh, you know, preceptor, whatever those, you know, tricks are yeah. called. And, but I look at the line and I know there's a kid at the back of the line with meningitis who is going to die if we don't see them. Mm. And I just have to say, you know what? We, yeah, we're not going to do that. I'm just going to mm. say, do this, admit them, let's see them tomorrow and let's get going because mm. there are times where, you know, there's half a million of them and there's seven of us. So, right. Yeah, that's a that's a definite challenge. And to, to put it lightly, yeah. to put it mildly. So how about how about successes? <laughs> you've 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 mentioned a bunch, but but what what are you proud of? What are, what are you excited about? And and are you looking forward to for the future? Yeah, in our in our facility, the thing I'm probably most excited about is the momentum. Uh, when I started eight years ago. We'd had some bad experiences with trainees and the approach to training national doctors was not embraced from the leadership level. And that attitude has changed significantly. Um, 
at any given time now we'll have four to five trainees um, and and when we get students in that you know we'll have a surge up to you know seven eight trainees around uh, the desk at any time so um, there was uh, there's also an acknowledgement that teaching the ministry of medicine is not something that we're just going to give by osmosis anymore mm. even though that's critical mm. and i think sometimes the pendulum swings too far the other way you have so much academics without enough in the trenches <laughs> you know yeah. that that it becomes a, a pedantic exercise okay. rather than a you know meeting people's needs yeah. um but now we're realizing that we've we've gone the other direction and it can be structured we can make inroads into formalizing codifying certain things so it can be something that's both caught and taught Mm -hmm. um so the other thing that i think has been great for us is there there is a postgraduate program Uh, a lot of times that's a challenge to get authorities to recognize a a specialty or whatever Mm -hmm. but an australian physician who's been here about 25 years in a different province actually spent many years doing that hard work for us Mm. and so the university has approved this masters of medicine in rural health Mm. which is a specialist qualification just like obstetrics or anything else and it's really geared towards training a generalist Mm -hmm. into the unique practice of medicine in one of the world's sort of last places, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, the highland jungles where there's, you know, you don't really have IV tubing, leave alone <laughs> specialists and CTs. And all. Right. So uh, so we we include ministry with that pre-existing paradigm. Mm. Um, and, and having a graduate now on faculty is probably one of our biggest wins. Mm. Uh, even though we weren't super intentional about her training, uh, she's here and she is speaking into how we how we move forward. Um, yeah. I think that's some of the biggest uh, successes that we've we've seen. That's awesome. That's great. Great to hear. Okay, so um, final question is uh, so I'm a I'm a new missionary on the field. Um, or I'm, Sorry. <laughs> or I'm, I'm joining a group that has been doing, let's say, hospital medicine or, or clinic medicine in a, in a far-flunged part, on, part of the planet. And uh, I'm, the, I'm the guy who now has sort of a vision for, for education, or, or I've been uh, voluntold that I'm going to be the person uh, responsible for, for the medical education in our context. So... What is what is your best advice that you would give uh, to somebody like me who's tr- who's just trying to begin even strategizing for incorporating medical education into a into a context? Yeah, the uh, I think it may have been Bill McCoy who I would hit with various things, usually either in the garden or in the gym. And he would say, you know, the the biggest problem with giving advice is that somebody might actually take it from you. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, Bill is he's a sage, but he's very humble. Yeah. And I and there's some truth to it because situations, stories, you know, nuances, things yeah. change, yeah. and people uh, people get their direction from the Lord and not, mm-hmm. you know, from policy books or things. So. I would say 
just speaking from personal struggle, which I think sharing that is the most poignant thing I can give, not Mm -hmm. advice, but Mm -hmm. um, I got off the plane and I got here and I saw all the answers. I, I just... Yeah, it was a problem. And and I saw the answers. I brought them to leadership and I was like, we need to do this. We need to teach medical students. We're going to start a residency program. We're going to do all these things. And it's not until you have a little more insight that you start to say, I've been asking the wrong questions. And the questions I was seeing answers to, if they were simple, they wouldn't be problems anymore. So <laughs> you realize that... Uh, Okay, let's let's get a perspective here. And I think my the the thing I learned earliest uh, was it's very difficult for people to be what they never see. Mm. And if the goal is to train a medical minister for the highlands of Papua New Guinea, but I get off the plane having just come from the ICU in a tertiary referral center in the United States. I am not that person for them yet. Mm, (laughs) So the thing that I realized, I needed to be a clinician. I needed to be in the mud and the blood of what my patients were going through on a daily basis for a while Mm -hmm. before I could then approach a young PNG doctor and say, this this is what we're going for. Mm. Um, I needed to have that season of the people, the community, the language, the diseases, how they understood their diseases, how they understood their faith, how they applied their faith to their own situations. I hadn't a clue about any of that stuff. Mm. And within our first year of working in PNG, I actually went to Africa and was invited to start a family medicine residency program in Africa. And one of the things I asked the people who extended the invitation was, well, how hard is it for me to get a a medical license in this country to practice? And they said, you don't need one. Mm. And for me, having only spent a year here, I thought, oh, this is a big red flag. Mm. Uh, You know, if if I'm not uh, at the bedside, Mm -hmm. touching the patient, praying with family members, pulling the tube out of, you know, how can Mm -hmm. I then go to one of those, that country's young doctors and say, hey, this is how you should do all these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm not saying that that is a blanket truth. Like I said, this is not advice. This is my own personal Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are certain places where you're never going to get a medical license and you have to find a creative way to speak into the next gen of doctors without that medical license through other things, be that academics or consultation or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's that's certainly true. And, that, and I'm not trying to paint a broad brush stroke across large swaths of the world, right. uh, um, just from my experience. But if there's a way to absorb the clinical and spiritual hurts of a place, and then navigate that, I believe that is the best way to become the kind of doctor that can that can be in the bedside, be in the ward, be in the delivery room, or whatever the setting is mm-hmm. with those young doctors and say, this is what I have found helpful. This is how I feel like the Lord speaks into this situation. Mm-hmm. Let's pray with this patient and then let's try this medicine and let's turn the rest over to, to him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because there, there were times where our young docs hit me with stuff and I was like, I had no idea that that was true about malaria. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and I had to just take a big step back like this, you know, 23 year old kid uh, who's, you know, English is his second language, and he, but he's schooling me hard <laughs> in, in how we do things. Um, so that I think is one of the biggest things I learned is um, be, be a medical minister yourself mm-hmm. in the place and in the hard place mm-hmm. uh, so that when you approach that relationship with a young doc that you're trying to train, it's, it's a collaborative experience rather than a, you know, a sort of... Yeah. Uh, supervisory or you know heaven forbid an authoritarian experience for them yeah wow so good so good mark thank you so much is there anything that i did not ask you that you would like to to share with anybody listening to us later um that that i haven't asked or or have we covered covered enough for today uh, we've, we've covered a good bit. My my notes on my computer screen, my battery died, and uh, <laughs> so if there was something, uh, I can't reference it. Okay. Um, the the goal for for what uh, I do in in teaching uh, has shifted. It's um, it used to be, I think, these these docs are going to be fantastic clinicians. They're going to be they're going to know everything about the diseases that we see here. Um, they're going to, um, you know, pass all their exams. They're all going to get through the program. They're all going to be stellar graduates. They're all going to. And um, one thing I've realized in teaching here is that they can get that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing that they almost never get anywhere else, at least in our setting, is when you put the ultrasound on that patient and you see a huge tumor in their liver and their eyes are yellow, Mm. uh, what do you do in that moment? How do you approach that person? Mm. How do you approach their family member? Uh, How do you navigate? Okay, there's two or three languages flying around this room and I only know two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, there's just situations where... uh, only someone who who can keep that antenna up and ask what's god going to do in this situation Mm. and half the time it's for the person on the table and half the time it's for me Mm. uh there are times where ministry happens in that room or in that scenario and and i don't know that it's happening to the patient or their family Mm. uh sometimes i think it's it's shaping the the people who supposedly have the knowledge you are supposedly bulletproof and you know mm-hmm. and it doesn't take long to reach you know the end of your rope <laughs> right. uh and and how do you navigate that and then how do you bring those mm-hmm. those young docs into those situations and say you know the patient's not the only vulnerable person in this mm-hmm. room right now <laughs> mm-hmm. and and we need to be sensitive to that mm-hmm. so that's great that's good and that's an an awesome place to to end, what a what a thought, what a what an incredible reflection on on our role as being authentic <clears throat> Christ bearers in the in the exam room, in the in the hospital room, in the OB floor. Um, Mark, thanks so much for your time. Um, so yeah, prou- so proud of, of you as always. And uh, what we will do is is um, 
make this available, you know, basically as a link to the folks who attend uh, Greece, um, and then we'll probably post this on the IHI podcast, and so the residents will be able to hear this as well. Um, my heart and goal for this is that people get to hear you and hear your heart and hear the things that have, you know, that have propelled and encouraged you to be the incredible incredible person that you are so so thank you for sharing your time with us and um and with that we'll we'll sign off is that okay yeah that's great i appreciate the kind words there's uh, some days i i i believe them and some days i i know a little better about myself but we, we do know that yeah god redeems all those things uh us you know his people the places we are mm. uh, he's got a plan of redemption for those things and and we get to be part of it in in whatever ways he tells us to and uh yeah my prayer is that i don't get in the way too much and and can help him uh with that stuff so yeah great i think i sent you a couple uh resources i tried to send you a link to an ebook yes uh, that one yes, of our residents sure sent mm-hmm. uh, compiled a few years ago and it's it's just some good stories about some of the docks in the in the jungles here yeah uh which some people might enjoy reading so. absolutely we'll yeah. make we'll make all of those things available okay brother take care and uh and okay. and uh yeah. we'll talk to you soon okay yeah all right Thanks, Chris. okay bye-bye bye